Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Vox Media is looking for a principal designer for their platform group, and you can work out of their NYC or DC offices as well as remotely. So check out the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs and find your next job today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and the holidays are now in full swing. We just published our holiday gift guide a few days ago, so make sure you go check that out. Just go to revisionpath.com, click the banner at the top of the page, that'll take you right to it. There's a lot of goodies in this year's gift guide, and you actually have the chance to win an item of your choice from the gift guide. So if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, you'll see there is a little contest form that you can fill out there. Make sure to go ahead and hop on that because that contest will end on December 15th. Go ahead and get your entry in today. Now, before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. You can join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. MailChimp just recently improved their automation features so you can do some really cool things like drip email campaigns that go out over several days. You can connect it with shopping cart software, and you can create custom workflows to do all kinds of cool stuff. So sign up today, get that free account at MailChimp.com. You need a new domain for your next project? Check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code SPREADLOVE and you'll save 10% off your purchase. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. We're still holding steady at 27 patrons right now for a combined total of $192 per month. A tremendously huge thanks, of course, to all of you that have already pledged your support and your appreciation for the show. It really means a lot. If you want to become a patron of Revision Path, help support the show, and get access to great perks like special giveaways, early access to future episodes, a Revision Path t-shirt, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge levels are really affordable. They start at just $1 per month, so that's, what, $12 a year, 25 cents a week, super affordable. All right, now for this week's interview. I talked with Ryan Williams. Ryan is one of the co-founders of Jopwell. Let's go ahead and start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Ryan Williams, and I'm the co-founder of Jopwell. And Jopwell is an online platform that connects underrepresented, diverse individuals, black, Latino, Native American, uh, with job opportunities in a range of industries all around the country. How exactly does Jopwell work? Like, how is it different from, say, 
a job board or something like that? So we've basically built a two-sided marketplace. So on one side of the marketplace, we have thousands of talented Black, Latino, Native American students and professionals. On the other side, we have a range of companies in different industries. And we're really marketing roles that traditionally are lacking in that diversity to the individuals who are talented and, and capable of filling the roles. So it's really a highly curated experience that's providing candidates that fit for specific roles looking to be filled in educating individuals about the opportunities that are available. Are these tech roles? Are these administrative management? Like what kind of roles are we talking about? So the main industries that we have represented are tech, consulting, healthcare, financial services, not-for-profits, education, and there are a few others, but it's really across the whole gamut. The reason being, we believe that a lot of minorities are just not aware and not exposed to the breadth of roles that are available for them. And so if we bring all of these companies together onto one platform, we can educate them that, hey, you, you know, you might be non-technical, but you can work in technology, or hey, you, you might not have a background in finance, but here are the roles for you that are available at a financial firm. So the education piece is really critical, and that's why we bring all the industry to one place. It's important, I like that you mentioned that, you know, you can work in what might be a different type of field or a different type of role, but it could still fall within tech, for example, because tech companies need writers and they need SEO people and they need folks that don't necessarily sit down and code or sit down and design or something like that. Right. That's a really big part of our thesis, this idea that tech companies could be so much more diverse if they made sure that the diverse populations out there were aware that it's not a scary place where there aren't opportunities for them. Whether or not you have a STEM background, there's a spot for you. Now, diversity in technology certainly is a extremely hot topic <laughs> right now. Yeah. I, I feel like there's something every week almost about some type of a a diversity in tech issue or need or group or something to that effect. Is that kind of where the idea of Jopwell came from to address that? That's a great question. My co-founder and I, we actually were, were colleagues working together in, in financial services. So we were working on Wall Street and our experiences of being recruited and finding our ways in, in, into a financial firm were actually the initial catalyst for us thinking that Jopwell could really solve this problem. We realized that we were in many ways just lucky to have the opportunity to work in finance. And it wasn't that there was necessarily something about us that set us apart dramatically. And it was more just we were educated about not opportunity and we're able to capitalize. So that was the initial catalyst that really helped us put our heads together and think of Jopwell. Then all of the press surrounding the lack of diversity in tech and, and the dire situation there really helped to catapult our business and, and help us yell a little bit louder, so to speak, in, in terms of spreading the word about what we're doing. So how many people are on your team? Because you mentioned you and a co-founder, just the two of you, or, or how many people are working with you? We have a team of nine people and we're currently growing. Nice. That's good. And you're all based out of New York? Yep. We're all based out of New York. And I'm going to kind of play, I guess, I don't want to say devil's advocate here, but I, I hate to use that term. But there are a lot of businesses like we spoke about before that are really in the spotlight these days for not having diverse workforces, mostly in technology. But I think we're also seeing that with nonprofits. We're seeing that with journalism. And you say that there are a lot of different type of sectors that Jopwell sort of works with. Do you think, and feel free to interpret this in any way, not in a, in a mean way or anything, but do you feel that companies are kind of like passing the buck by using Jopwell as opposed to 
just doing the outreach themselves? That's a fantastic question. And that's something that we definitely thought about from the get-go. The short answer to that is no. We've seen a lot of actual buy-in and heavy usage of our platform from these companies. So typically our customers, after paying for the service and coming on board, their recruiters, many of their recruiters have access. They're actively searching through our platform for candidates. We're feeding them candidates as well. They're hiring. They're interviewing. We're really seeing the process start to work. And that excites us because... You know, there obviously is that concern that, you know, some companies might just want to kind of check that PR box and just pay lip service to the idea of diversity. But uh, mm-hmm. we're seeing real buy-in kind of on the ground, which, uh, which is definitely motivating. And the huge range of companies that have reached out to us to partner, I think, really speaks to this notion that companies understand the business imperative behind diversity. So beyond just being a talking point and something that seems like it's socially right, companies who are selling products to an ever-globalized world are understanding if we're not employing people and decision makers and thought leaders who look like our consumers, then we're going to have a real problem on our hands. And that's the case whether your platform is an internet company or it's a you know, consumer goods uh, company, really across the gamut minorities are consuming your product. You need to have employees who understand their perspective, who bring different skill sets to the table, who have different experiences to avoid groupthink. I think the whole package, people are really starting to understand it. I'm glad that you mentioned that that point about sort of companies realizing the business case for it. Because one thing that I've said for a long time as it relates to diversity is that a lot of companies are not going to get behind this until they see how it affects their bottom line. Right. It's sort of one thing, you know, like you said, to come from a a social or an anecdotal point to say diversity is important because of, you know, different viewpoints and things like that. And then what ends up kind of getting tossed back is like, where's the data? Show me the data that says diverse (laughs) workforces do blah, 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 you know, exactly. Now, with the work that Jopwell does with these companies, I guess I'm interested in sort of what does success look like for both Jopwell and for the companies? Like, is it diversifying the hiring pool? Is it actually hiring these people? Is it retention? Like at what stage of the game, I guess, does Jopwell kind of drop off and say, okay, it's up to you now? The short answer, and it it might be a little bit of a cop-out, is that it entirely depends on the company. But I'll talk about a standard use case because we love to start a relationship by asking a company, what does success look like to you? The reality is that some of our partners are very diverse, but looking to maintain and improve their diversity. Others of our partners are less diverse and are really looking to make their first strides into caring about diversity in a more formalized way. So we see all of it. But in a typical relationship, success looks like us providing a company with a significantly more diverse applicant pool than they've ever seen. And we always remind uh, people, Jopwell is not suggesting hire individuals because they're diverse. What Jopwell is saying is, without a pool of diverse applicants, you can't possibly even be considering the best people for the job. And luckily, what we're finding is that once they start considering more diverse people, they're realizing, wow, you know, a lot of these diverse people are the best person for the job, and they're hiring those individuals. So you know, there's a lot of different sort of ways that that can look depending on the company, but we absolutely are driven by increasing that applicant pool and then converting that into hires. And so while it's great to say you had a thousand people apply for an opportunity who were diverse and and sort of pat ourselves on the back, we definitely want to take that a step farther and be able to say, look at how your company has evolved as an organization as a result of your partnership with Jopwell. And that's something I think everyone should celebrate and get behind. I guess, how are these applicants coming into the program? Are they applying on Jopwell's website? Are you pulling from like a third party 
job place like Indeed or something like that? You know, right. how are they, I guess, sort of finding these people? How are you finding these people? We really wanted to focus on that piece. How are we getting the talent? And, and the answer is that everyone who signs up on Jopwell is coming to Jopwell and filling their information in on Jopwell specifically. We're not pulling in from anywhere else. We're not aggregating data for, of individuals who don't even know that Jopwell exists. If you're a candidate on Jopwell, it's because you found out about Jopwell, signed up, made a profile, and then you're applying to our organizations through the site. And so we spread the word in a few ways. One, and I guess the one that's most exciting and most organic, is word of mouth. So college students and professionals sign up on our platform. They have a great experience connecting with companies. They learn about opportunities that they wouldn't have known about, and they tell us as much, and then they tell their friends. So that's one approach. Another is through an ambassador program. So specifically on the campus level, we have Jopwell ambassadors who are typically individuals who had a great experience on Jopwell themselves. They want to help out. They are excited by the idea of working with a startup. And so they spread the word on their campus to make sure that at the very least, everyone is aware of Jopwell as an opportunity that, that's out there. Now, whether or not they sign up is, of course, up to them. But we want everyone to know that Jopwell is out there. Jopwell can help you find a, a job opportunity. And so those two pieces are, are very distinct, but they're critical pieces of our efforts. And then a third would be partnerships with existing minority professional organizations. So there are organizations that have been out there for many years, some since the civil rights era or even before, and they do great work. And we're really excited by partnering with them to kind of broaden our outreach to make sure we have this megaphone and we're shouting, you know, hey, we're Jopwell, here's what we're doing. We'd love if you signed up and, and connected with companies. What's been the feedback from both applicants to Jopwell and to the companies that I I guess I've bought into Jopwell. So the feedback universally on the company side has been that they haven't seen anything like this. So putting diversity aside for a second, many companies on the university side of things have not ever interacted with a tool that allows them to so easily search through basically a huge resume book of these really in-depth Jopwell profiles that tell someone's full story way beyond what you could fit on one page, they haven't really seen that experience before. And it's different from a job board because we're putting the keys in their hands. So we're telling these HR professionals, you guys can drive, search through our database of extremely talented individuals, find the person who's a fit for your organization for a role or for a program, whatever the case may be, because you are the one who's best fit to make those decisions. And so a lot of people have said, wow, you know, we're using Jopwell to advance our diversity initiatives. But even aside from diversity, we haven't had the ability to be in the driver's seat in quite this way before. And so we're really excited about that feedback. From the candidate side of things, and this is a really humbling part, and it's something that definitely motivates the entire team. Candidates tell us all the time, I never would have known that I could work at X company if Jopwell hadn't marketed it to me. Or I wouldn't have known that I could even have access to this industry if not for Jopwell really pushing these specific opportunities to me. So the feedback has been really encouraging. We absolutely get constructive feedback as well about ways to improve the product and to sort of advance our mission of making the workforce more colorful. But the feedback on both sides has been really encouraging, really motivating. And it lets us know that there's a lot of work still to be done. What are some trends that you see from companies like as it relates to hiring? Are they hiring more along different job sectors, different times of the year. What have you seen, I guess, since since starting Jopwell? So one major kind of trend, but it's something that was always part of the equation. In fact, it's how we started, is the internship piece. So a lot of companies hire the majority of their entry levels employees through their internship programs. 
which means it's critical to get diverse applicants in the door f- for those internships. And so these diverse communities very often, and diverse individuals, no matter where they're from, are often less aware of these internship programs, some of them starting as early as freshman, sophomore years of college. So we're really helping to make them aware of those programs and then make internships a big part of what we do. So that piece is definitely kind of seasonal and and it's a big trend. Helping companies get really diverse classes of interns, that way they can then convert those interns to full-time hires. And suddenly you're not just hiring diverse individuals on a one-off basis. You're really bringing in an entire class of new employees who are more representative of the landscape of the country. So that's a we're kind of in the midst of that season right now. And that's something that's been really exciting to just all of these interns are really excited by the opportunities they're facing. So what are the next steps of growth for you? Like where do you see Jopwell going in the near future? I think for us it's about turning Jopwell into more of a community. So right now it's a two-sided marketplace and we're doing a lot of exciting things in terms of connecting the two pieces and and making employment happen, but also helping Jopwell be a professional resource beyond just getting a job is something that's critical to us. So the idea of individuals in the minority community who have, for example, maybe you're a senior programmer at a tech company, the ability to then be a mentor sort of in mass to the younger Jopwell candidates is a really exciting opportunity. Ways to help individuals who are success stories amplify their message and speak to a broad number of individuals and sort of be a mentor in bulk. That's something that we're thinking about. Also just creating a sense of community. So for example, the tech community in San Francisco isn't the most colorful. So allowing those individuals to feel like they have a space uh, to kind of come together to share professional resources, to share sort of experiences, job opportunities, etc. Making that a community, I think, is something that will be very salient, specifically for the minority community. So let's step back a little bit. Jopwell came out of Y Combinator, which is a very well-known some would say infamous, I guess, business accelerator. Right. And honestly, some of the things that we've heard from it are that, you know, it's not been kind to people of color, particularly women, actually women in general. For you and your co-founder, both of you went through Y Combinator. Uh, is that right to get yep. Jopwell started? Exactly. What was that experience like? I have to say that the experience was not sort of anyone that might have been heard from some of those stories about it not being a, a warm or a conducive environment. We had an incredible experience in Y Combinator. And I think one of the reasons why it's so difficult perhaps to foster an environment that has a sort of a lot of different faces and people who look different represented is that unfortunately – the vast majority of entrepreneurs who are seeking VC funding or the vast majority of entrepreneurs who are starting businesses are not people who are black, Latino, and Native American. And so I think there's a few barriers that need to be broken down, the first of which is just encouraging more individuals who are black, who are Latino, who are Native American, who are young, who may be very risk adverse, and telling them, you know what, you can make this leap. It is possible to get funded. It is possible to get the support of an accelerator like Y Combinator. And we found the experience to be very supportive in that way. And I think they really are taking incredible efforts to make sure that they're finding kind of the best diverse talent that's out there. 
people who otherwise might not have heard about the program. And so from that perspective, it was great. In terms of the, just the, the program overall, people call these programs accelerators. We felt that we were in the right time to kind of accelerate our business, to take it to the next level from a user growth perspective, from a sales perspective, learning how to grow the team, learning how to think beyond a tiny operation and really imagine this being a company that's operating at scale. And all of those ways, it was really a phenomenal experience. And the interesting thing about Y Combinator is that unlike some other accelerator or incubator programs, it's actually pretty hands-off. So some programs, you're working out of a specific space that they provide for you. You are doing, you know, quote-unquote classes every day. And there's a lot of dedicated time towards this more classroom-like instruction, whereas YC is way more based around the network, which I think is a phenomenally helpful thing. So with the exception of one dinner per week where you come together and hear from a prominent speaker from the Silicon Valley community and from the Y Combinator partners. And then on top of that, something called office hours where you schedule time to speak with Y Combinator partners who are all kind of very wise former entrepreneurs or current entrepreneurs who are involved. With the exception of that, it really is just you working with your team on growing the product. So you're put into this very competitive seeming environment, but you realize very quickly that you have to do most of the work. You have to really drive your business and take it to the next level. And I think that's why Y Combinator has been so successful in helping companies accelerate. Because at the end of the day, no investor, no advisor, No one else is going to grow a business other than the team itself and their ability to provide incredible guidance and advice while also being hands off and and making it crystal clear that, you know, we were going to have to take this business to the next level, not anyone else. I think that made it an incredibly rewarding experience. And we came out of there, uh, you know, feeling like we attached, uh, you know, rockets to our shoes. And I should also, you know, throw this in too. Funding helps also. Absolutely. You all receive the funding that you got, was that after Y Combinator or before? So we'd raise a little bit of angels and sort of family friend funding prior to Y Combinator, but the majority of our fundraise came after. And so we raised about a little over $3 million after the program, and so over $4 million in total. And they were extremely helpful from a funding perspective. So just getting access to, to venture capital firms, to angel investors, on top of all the advisors that they provided was instrumental. Sometimes, I think, especially for minority entrepreneurs, the hardest part is just getting in the same room. And once you're in the same room, you're able to sell your vision, sell your passion, explain why you are going to be the team to take it to the next level. But Y Combinator, they have the cachet and and the network to really get anyone in the room. And that is oftentimes the hardest piece of the puzzle. So I know that there are people that are listening that probably have ideas that they would love to get funding for, get VC funding for. To try to kind of, you know, make happen for you and for your co-founder, what did that process look like? Was it putting pitch decks together? Was it just being in the same room like you mentioned? Was that part of it too? Putting pitch decks together and sort of preparing in a more formal way was certainly part of it. But I think the most critical thing when it came down to actually sitting in a meeting with a VC or with an angel investor who knows the startup landscape well was just a genuine passion and knowledge about what we're doing. And I think that for most entrepreneurs is the critical thing that gets you past that threshold of interesting idea to 
really compelling idea that I want to invest in. And I think the exciting thing was that Porter and I had left our jobs because we were really passionate about this idea. And that passion was able to be communicated across. So while, yes, it's critical to you know put together projections, to have a slide deck that really explains the business thoroughly so someone with no prior knowledge can get what you're doing, those are critical things, absolutely. I think more critical than anything else is passion for what the project is and an understanding that if this thing is going to be, you know, quote unquote successful, it's going to take years of hard work. And we're just at the, you know, the beginning stages of this, but it's going to take years of hard work. And they need to firmly believe that you have the perseverance and really the approach, the balance, the sort of frame of mind to take this thing to the end zone. And I think that's an area where a lot of people can get tripped up. What types of businesses tend to, I guess, come through Y Combinator? Because I think when folks think about, or at least have heard about Y Combinator, they're specifically thinking tech businesses like right. software, software as a service, et cetera. What types of businesses come through there? Are there maybe more non-traditional types of businesses that make it through Y Combinator? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And, that, and that's a fantastic question because that is definitely that is definitely the conception that people have about Y Combinator. And while, yes, there are certainly a lot of software businesses and very tech-intensive businesses that go through the program, there are also other businesses that really cross off, that really check one primary box, and that would be the ability to be a billion-dollar-plus company. And I think as long as a business kind of hits that critical threshold as something that they believe could one day be a billion dollar business or maybe a, you know, a much larger business as some companies that have come through Y Combinator are, then that's really the main box that needs to be checked. And so I think recently in the past few classes, a lot of companies where you might even kind of shake your head and say, or scratch your head rather and say, that's not a traditional YC company have come through. I mean, it, you know, if I'm being honest, a lot of people would look at Jopwell and think, that doesn't seem like a traditional Y Combinator business because there are actual people on either side of our product. There's individuals who are job candidates. There are companies on the other side connecting the two. And those are really the critical assets of our company. So while technology is incredibly paramount to the success of our business, at the surface, it might look less technological than than many software companies. And I think that speaks to the evolution of, of Y Combinator over the past few years. There absolutely is a willingness to accept businesses that are non-traditional, even businesses that are building a, a physical product, as long as there is this, this belief that if it's executed correctly, this is the founding team to make this a billion-dollar company. Now, going back just a little bit, you mentioned you and your your co-founder, Porter. Is that right? That's his yep, name? Porter Braswell. Porter Braswell. You two met when you were both working at Goldman Sachs. Yeah, that's correct. What were you all doing there? What was it like working there? We were both working on the foreign currency sales desk. So that's a function on the trading floor where you're essentially covering clients who are trading foreign currencies. So we were covering different types of clients, but we worked really closely together. And I had actually interned on Porter's desk when I was a junior before starting there full time. So he was a year ahead of me. And the opportunity at Goldman was, was an incredible one. And I think we both learned a ton. I mean, I can say with certainty that Jopwell wouldn't exist without Goldman because we, we met there. But even beyond just meeting one another, it also was kind of a boot camp for some critical things that are driving us to this day. So managing expectations. So whether that's with clients who were you know, trading currencies that we were speaking to or expectations of our team in a really high pressure environment, I think that 
continues to sort of inform the culture that, that we have at Jopwell. We are helping these companies connect with minorities and we want to offer them a level of service that is on par with the service that Goldman was providing to its clients. So that's definitely sort of a, a legacy mindset that we brought over from that experience. And I think a few other things as well. Just high pressure, high impact decisions, as a co-founder, it kind of feels like, oh, wow, you know, every decision every day could be so impactful. I think the experience mm -hmm. at Goldman of making really quick decisions on the trading floor really helps to kind of breed an entrepreneur because you're making impactful decisions and you kind of have to keep moving. And, and some decisions will be right, some decisions will be wrong, but either way, you just got to, you know, kind of keep grinding and keep moving forward. And we definitely both turn to Goldman as the, uh, you know, the reason for why we're able to do that. That's quite a jump to go from a financial company to entrepreneurship. And even with the entrepreneurship, it's not explicitly in the financial realm. Yeah. Why did you want to switch to such, I guess, a it's such a drastic change over like that? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, that's something that I'm, I'm asked a lot. But interestingly enough, I think both for Porter and myself, it doesn't seem as drastic to us as it might seem externally. And the reason is we both had this entrepreneurial itch. So an itch to do, everyone says these words, but to do our own thing. Mm -hmm. I think the desire to, to really have ownership behind something and to be part of something that was really a creation of our own was driving both of us. And so even though it's outside of the financial services world, I think to us, the leap was always the logical next step. And so that's why it didn't seem as drastic. I guess to the other piece is the fact that Goldman has actually, has actually cranked out a, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs and, and doing things that are totally different from what they might have been doing on their day-to-day -day jobs. And so I think it's really a situation where, and not just Goldman, but you know, companies and financial services in general and uh, certainly consulting firms as well, they create a really good framework of experience. And then if there are other things that really drive your passions, I think it kind of gives you the professional confidence to do those things. And that's really how we look at it. So let's take a step back here. I know we've talked a lot about Jopwell. We've talked about Y Combinator, Goldman Sachs, how you got into it. Let's shift more to talking about you. Sure. First off, I want to ask, like, who have been some of your mentors? Who have been some of the people that have helped kind of get you to where you are today? Yeah, certainly. So one of them, and it kind of ties in with Y Combinator, has been Michael Seibel. So he's one of the partners at, uh, at Y Combinator, and he's actually uh, black himself. So, you know, black partner at Y Combinator. Porter had connected with him really early on in, in sort of our us building the vision of Jopwell, and he's been extremely helpful even since then. And so while we were at Y Combinator, before we were at Y Combinator and after, I think he's provided some really excellent guidance, and he's an entrepreneur himself, and so those experiences are extremely valuable. I mean, he was really a friend and, and sort of advisor to the founders of Airbnb, so really an incredible track record there. And so just being able to pick his brain and lean on him for advice and for just his reservoir of knowledge has been huge. So that's definitely one. And then I think beyond that, interestingly enough, a lot of our advisors have been and sort of mentors and people of support have been in our immediate networks, friends, family, individuals who we are in touch with before, because many of them have their own stories as minorities about getting a job and some of the trials and tribulations there and maybe you know discrimination or setbacks or barriers that they face in the professional landscape. And in so many ways, those experiences and whether negative or positive have helped to inform decisions that we make with Jopwell. So even our friends, people younger than us, just knowing you know what has been hard about finding a job or 
why were you able to find a job at X company? Those experiences, I think, have been probably as impactful as any formal sort of mentorship or advisorship. Walk me through like what a typical day is like for you. Like walk me through a typical day. Sure. It's funny. So I mentioned earlier that we we're in the middle of the internship hiring season. And right now, the vast majority of what I do is sort of geared towards making that process as seamless as possible. So it's a lot of perfecting of our operational model. I mentioned that we're kind of a two-sided marketplace. There are candidates on one side. There are companies on the other side. But as a brand new company, we have to do a lot to make sure that that, that marketplace is flowing seamlessly. And we can't just sit back on our hands and say, OK, this thing's going to run itself. So I specifically have been really involved with sort of formulating the account management process. So the process through which employees of Jopwell and our account management team help both the candidates and the companies connect with really matches that would be a good fit. So on the candidate side of things, we're building a playbook that allows us to, at scale, help thousands and thousands of candidates find the job opportunities that, that fit the best for them. So sometimes that means actually having direct conversations with these candidates and finding out what sort of opportunities they're looking for and what their skill sets are, and then suggesting to them companies and roles that could be a good fit. On the company side of things, it's really working with the leaders within their HR or diversity teams and defining what does success mean to you and your team? How are your internship programs structured? How does your hiring currently work? And kind of mapping out their organizations, sometimes literally just drawing it all out and deciding you know, here is the way that Jopwell can best operate within the structure of your organization. Here are the points of contact we'd like to have to make sure that you're best able to utilize our platform and things of that nature. Another huge piece right now is that we're hiring. So a lot of our time, Porter and my time, has been dedicated to finding people to help us take kind of Jopwell to the next level. So on the tech side of the equation, that has been a critical focus as of late, and we're in the process of, of interviewing and hiring there. We just hired a new individual to help us with sort of content strategy and managing the Jopwell brand. We're really focused on growing the team. It's been stressed to us that culture is so important. So much of our days is spent looking for new talent to come on board with Jopwell. And then up until very recently, a lot of our time was dedicated to fundraising. And so every day having calls with potential angels or VC investors, actually going to physical meetings and, and, and pitching, then follow-ups and sort of all of that process. So, you know, we, we've been warned that fundraising is a full-time job. And, you know, having just now sort of transitioned out of fundraising mode can definitely confirm that that really is the truth. What positions are you hiring for? So we're hiring front-end developer, back-end developer, full-stack developers, potentially a designer we're hiring for the sales or partnerships process. So those are individuals who actually help to connect with new potential companies to come on board and then closing those deals. Those are the critical ones I would say that we're really hiring multiple individuals for. Data analysis and, and sort of data science is something that's going to be critical for us as we're creating this huge data set of information about how our candidates are interacting with the platform, how companies are connecting with these diverse applicants. And so we're going to have some really interesting data stories to piece together there that, that explain maybe some of the shortcomings traditionally in hiring minorities, some things that are working well, et cetera, and have some fascinating data there. So we're looking to hire on that front. Really several roles that are helping us to create kind of this cohesive functioning uh, company. Now, for all these roles, do people have to be in New York or can they work remotely? So for those ones and really for 
I'd say until we're about 20 people, for us, it's pretty critical that they're in New York. Now, they don't have to be in New York now, but just willing to work in New York. And the reason mm -hmm. is that we're really focused on having a dedicated and deliberate culture and making sure that our initial employees are on board for that culture, understand that culture. They get to meet the rest of the team personally and see what we're all about. For us, that's really important right now. In the future, absolutely open to more remote opportunities, but uh, we'd like to kind of start things off the right way. And then once, we, w once we've done that well, we feel comfortable kind of putting these people who can be champions in different regions and, and feeling more confident about a, a remote system. All right. So listeners out there in New York, Jopwell's hiring if you're looking for a new gig. Personally, what does success look like for you? I think success can be measured in a couple different ways for me. Now, one of them, and, and first and foremost, are the companies that are partnering with Jopwell becoming dramatically more diverse or at, at the very least, making like slowly becoming more diverse year over year as a result of partnering with Jopwell. And I think that is something that can really excite me and I can get up every morning and be very happy about what I'm dedicating my time to. And so, you know, being able to look back in three years and say, this company that we partnered with in 2015 is now as diverse as our country, that to me is success. If we can do that across the board for all of our partnerships, I am very happy with what we've been able to accomplish. So that's the first piece. And I think the second is on the business of Jopwell, and the two are definitely linked. But I think Jopwell can really do this at scale and, and can be a huge business. And the theme of that business really is helping people unlock their potential. So one of the biggest sort of problems that Jopwell is, is addressing is the fact that there is all of this incredible potential, incredible talent that it just isn't being utilized because individuals, really because the hiring landscape is extremely inefficient, specifically when it comes to ethnic minorities. And so if we can build a company that is helping you know other companies all around the country and all around the world really unleash this potential that's in front of them, I think we're talking about a company that can be really huge and can be a, you know, a publicly traded company one day. What's the best advice that you've been given? It can be business advice, it can be life advice, anything like that. I think the absolute best advice, and we got it right before YC, which was great timing for the advice, is that there's going to be extreme ups and extreme downs of the startup process and just being able to maintain an even keel and realize that the highs are not as high as they might really seem, the lows are never as low as they may seem, and just sort of having this equilibrium level of enthusiasm and of confidence and of excitement about the business is the most critical thing by far. I think that was, for one, extremely timely advice before we entered the, the kind of the, the pressure cooker of YC. And then on top of that has just been something that has really proven to be so true. Even on the days where we feel like things are firing on all cylinders, just kind of staying humble and, and, and realizing there's so much uh, more that we need to do as a business and as co-founders, that has been critical. And on the days where there are disappointing where things you know aren't kind of going our way being equally enthusiastic still having the energy still being confident that we're going to get the mission done that was definitely the best advice that i've received personally are you satisfied professionally that's interesting i am definitely i feel fulfilled in the mission that i'm working on i wouldn't say satisfied just in the sense that I, there's a lot more that I want us to accomplish, but I definitely think that that I feel fulfilled every day. I feel like I am, you know, I have the autonomy that I want out of a professional experience. It, it's almost hard to call it a job because it really is a passion product, but I have the autonomy that I would want out of a job. I have the fact that 
the mission of it is extremely aligned with the things that I'm passionate about. Every day is different. I'm working with people who are phenomenally talented, who are as passionate about the mission as I am. So absolutely fulfilled. In terms of satisfied, I think we're all going to be satisfied when when Jopwell sort of hits those uh, those levels that I mentioned before. But I definitely think we're on the right path, and I'm proud to be doing it. Awesome. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you're kind of in the the early stages, as you said before. Right. And- it can be a challenge to maintain that equilibrium and just kind of do the work because when the good stuff happens, you're really excited. And then when the bad stuff happens, you just want to quit. Exactly. All together. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and you're like, you know what? I don't know. You know, if I put my resume back, I could probably, <laughs> you know, find something. So Exactly. Well, you know, Ryan, just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you and Jopwell and the work that you're doing online? Absolutely. So first and foremost, you can sign up uh, as a candidate on Jopwell at Jopwell, J-O-P-W-E-L-L.com. Highly encourage anyone to do so. Whether you're looking for a job or not, it's just critically important to understand understand uh, your professional value and to connect with potentially new opportunities, even passively. Personally, I'm on Twitter, Ryan, R-Y-A-N-S, Williams. So I'm on Twitter there personally, and Jopwell is just at Jopwell. And, uh, you know, definitely would love to connect and and to keep the conversation going. We're definitely uh, just in the starting stages. Sounds good. Well, Ryan Williams, thank you again for taking time out of your very busy schedule. I know you're busy. You're building a business and and really trying to, you know, to make sure that's happening. But I also just want to thank you for doing something that is really positively contributing to solving the diversity problem that a lot of companies seem to face. You know, I, I mean, I work with companies myself, really, honestly, because of this show, I work with companies that are looking to diversify their workforce. And so sometimes it can be like throwing darts at the wall and seeing what sticks. But I can see that because your company is really going out there and talking with them and And it's really forging that relationship because you all don't just function as like a a recruiter or a headhunter. You're really maintaining the relationship to make sure that you're diversifying the pool, making sure that they're being, you know, at least interviewed, I would hope, you know, just to get them in the door to, to open up those opportunities. So you're doing a good thing. You're doing great work. And I'm really glad to have you on the show. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thoughts of love are in. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Ryan Williams, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Ryan, Jopwell, and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. When it comes to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They have great reporting, new and improved autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. So get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover and save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code SPREADLOVE at checkout. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. Make sure you're subscribed to us on iTunes, Leave us a rating and a review, five stars, of course. It really helps us get new listeners. I'll read your review right here on the show. And it is the easiest and simplest way to help support the show without really doing anything. Just leave a nice review and a rating. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. 
Pledge levels start at just $1 per month, and you'll get access to behind-the-scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.